Ready? Yes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Hammond. I'm joined today by uh, Don Pogriba, who is a an English teacher here at Helena High. Yes? Yes. And you also teach debate? Yeah. And um, so we won't be getting into an argument because I would lose. And uh, he also blogs at Intelligent Discontent, um, which I always read incorrectly and see it as Intelligent Disconnect, which uh, is wrong. And uh, uh, has been very active in politics for a while now. In fact, actually, I met you, virtually met you. I did the air quotes thing. I don't have the air quotes sound. <laughs> um, virtually met you through Twitter, yep. which you've been on for quite a while. So how is that new and exciting? Yeah, I didn't, I wasn't interested in Twitter for a long time. I didn't think it would be much fun. And then I realized how cool it is to be really snarky in about 140 characters. So that made it <laughs> worthwhile, I think. To snark at someone in yeah. 140 characters. And, and then once I learned you could direct it to people, that was even better. So when I could put at Denny Reberg and say something snarky, I enjoyed it even more. Ah, so. uh-huh. well, that's good. Um, I, I do understand that. I, I have that tendency as well. Um, so how long have you been teaching? This is my 11th year. Oh, wow. So did yeah. you did you start here at Helen High? Or? I did one year at CMR and was desperate to get back to Helena. So I found a job here, and I've been here since then. Oh, CM Russell. Okay. Yep. For some reason in my head, I thought C.R. Anderson. I'm like, that's just on the other side of town. Right. Yeah, nothing <laughs> against CMR, but Great Falls wasn't home. Helena felt more like home. <sighs> Very cool. So um, you teach English, which is you know a foreign language for most of the students. Yes. And uh, then you also teach debate. And with the political uh, insights that you have, how is teaching debate? You know, in this day and age where there's so much fighting that goes on on TV anyway. Yeah, it, it sounds like a cliche, but I wish politicians would watch the way these kids debate because it's substantive. You know, they do some research, and we've debated this year everything from whaling policy to globalization, and they have to dig into research and actually present facts. And so you have 14 year old kids talking about this on a much deeper level than you'd ever see in the clown show of the seven Republicans yelling at each other for <laughs> an hour. So, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. At first, you know, a lot of them don't have the content, but they get it, and it's, I think it's worthwhile. So, um, actually, I had a chance to uh, see the Republican debate for the, well, it wasn't just Republicans, I guess it was all the governor candidates except for a couple, up in Great Falls. And um, it was interesting that the way the way it was done, I don't, you know, I'd never, having been in debate in high school for like a minute, right. <laughs> um, you, know, you see the process that you go to, Lincoln Douglas is a very strict way, and then you have the other forms, and and uh, there wasn't any of that, like, what seems to be going on is not debate, it seems to be soundbiting, and, yeah. and, and, and infighting, and I would wonder why more people don't do debate, I, I would guess. Right. Well, I think it's, you know, for those guys, it's dueling prepared remarks when you can slip them in. And what I like about the academic debate we do is a student will make a speech. Other students can ask questions after and during even. And so it forces them to explain what they're talking about. You can't just say, we should cut taxes. Because in my class, if someone said that, the other side would stand up and say, well, what's going to happen to these programs if you cut taxes? And I, I think the, the format of most political debates that never happens. There's never any challenging of their ideas. And so I think if someone did that, it would be pretty interesting, actually. It would make, I think people would be impressed with controlled, focused questions, not... Pandering. Yeah, pandering (laughs) at the the lowest level. Yeah, um, I think it'd be interesting as well. When I first started, I came up with the idea for this podcast, um, I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could just bring somebody on and debate with them for an hour? couldn't get anybody to agree to do it right <laughs> so it was kind of a non-starter because it does take a level of courage that i just don't think people have yeah so so you've been teaching debate you've been involved in politics i know that you were um during the legislature last year especially and that is really the impetus for doing the show is last year was so horrible i wanted to make sure that everybody <laughs> got their voice out this year and you were uh, very vocal and wrote many, many articles about what, what went on, but what was your overall opinion of um, our political process at that point? Did you, did you lose face, faith in democracy? 
Yeah, I did. Um, I I remember listening to the thing. I think the low point was there was a a budget committee meeting one night, really late on the weekend, and they keep pro amendment after amendment. Let's restore funding to the school for the deaf and blind, please. Can we do that? Party line vote no. And then all these worthwhile programs, no discussion, just one by one. And I thought, it did. I lost a lot of faith, not even because of the individuals involved, although they certainly contributed to it, but just the sense that no one would ever even talk about anything. And it was just scoring points without regard for fact, reason, or basic human decency. That was pretty tough. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite part of last session because there had to be some good parts <laughs> sometimes it was when you went to a dagger right <clears throat> you know it's it favored in a funny way like the hypocrisy of the anti-government republicans taking health care from the state that was a favorite part for me <laughs> just because it exposed i think some of the absurdity of the process um but in terms of good outcomes i, I mean i think a lot of vital programs didn't get funded, and now we're sitting on $420 million that would have funded those programs. Oh, so, easily. Yeah, it's hard to point out. There were favorite fun moments, but maybe not a lot of favorite, oh, that was good policy that got made. Yeah, there were, the, I think there are three moments. When 516 got canned, that made me happy. When the um, branding happened, right. that made me happy. And the fact that they decided to leave town two days early made me happy. <laughs> I, well, my first answer was going to be when the session ended. So, yes. What was your favorite part of the session? June. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you get through that. How, how do you incorporate that into your classes? And, I mean, you now you teach freshmen through seniors, yes? Yeah. So you're dealing with kids that are literally coming out of loony bins all the way through to getting ready to send them off to a new loony bin. Right. And uh, you've got all of the different levels of maturity and immaturity and problems, all of that. How do you incorporate some of the frustrations that you're seeing in modern politics, both on a national level and a uh, local level, state level? How do you incorporate that without, um, I guess, going off the deep end? <laughs> I think, so I, I'd like to know because when yeah. I talk about it I, I'm like you know what you might as well just give me the plank I'm going to walk <laughs> I, I, it's a weird balancing act between I, I want I want them to be idealistic because I, I still want to be idealistic and so we talk about things you know not, not in a partisan sense but in a in a political sense maybe broader government sense I want them to be idealistic I want them to leave here with a sense that they can change things but at the same time you know I want them to see we do talk about the broken nature of the system, and we talk about whether or not the system can work. And so, I, I, ideally, I want them to feel like they can make a change, but realize the barriers to doing that. And so, I think I just—I probably drive them crazy, ping-ponging back and forth between. Idealism. Yes, you can do awesome things, and boy, it's broken. <laughs> so they're probably very frustrated with me, but. Well, you know, that's the truth. There's two sides to every story, and they aren't necessarily complete opposites. Um, so, do you have your own kids, I guess? Are they in the no. school system? Oh, okay. So, you, you're dealing with other people's kids, and I volunteered at Capitol High for a little bit, so I've, I, I see some of the um, the breakdowns in our system. One of them was I would work with the drama kids, and then I was actually gone for 10 months, came back, and one of the kids that I had worked with had a kid. Right. Um, and I was like, uh, don't they teach sex ed anymore? And this was before we had the whole big blow up here, and I was pretty vocal about that. Um, how do you deal with, because you're a teacher, obviously, so you're inside the system. How do you deal with it when you see uh, people that are outside of the system that are telling you how to do your job that haven't that didn't even graduate high school? I can think of specific examples for this. Right. <laughs> so I won't um, mention any names. Right. I might put a link to her Facebook page, which she's blocked me from, but whatever. Right. Um, I'm sure <clears throat> journalists will find what I'm about to say funny. But I think it's interesting that everyone thinks he can be an educator, kind of like bloggers think that they can be journalists. But um, <laughs> it's funny. It seems like everyone who's been in a school imagines that they know how to do it. And and I, I think parent involvement, the community involvement, is really excellent. I, my, I, have, an, I have an open-door policy. Parents and everyone are welcome in. But I kind of would like, when, I, when stuff like that comes up, I think, spend a day in my class or spend Sunday with me when I'm grading 45 papers and then tell me how I should do a better job. I get a little indignant <laughs> because 
I love this job. I couldn't ask for a better job, but it's hard. And it's, you know, to deal with that 30 kids in a room, some of whom are depressed, some of whom have bad family lives, some are dealing with those issues like pregnancy. It's not like we can just wave the 1950s wand and have them all be like the cleavers. We can't. And so it's a real challenge. When I, I think when I started teaching, I didn't know just how much of that there would be, how much outside stuff would affect their ability to perform in school. And that's been, every year I learn a little bit more about that, I think. All right, so when you're having to, when you're coming up on uh, somebody's trying to pass a bill and they're saying, you know, well, we're going to, to take away funding from this program or we don't, think, we don't find value in this, um, and it targets your area, uh, how do you respond to that in the classroom or do you, do you bring it up to them? Do you, do you get them involved? You know, the closer it gets to my political beliefs, the more likely I'm to step back and let the class discussion take over because I don't want to, I don't want them to come away with my opinions. And so that's interesting. If it's, if it's broader, you know, I'll jump in more, but I prefer them to bring it up. So sex ed last year in Helena. <laughs> we didn't, I didn't ever speak about it in class except for to reference the controversy. And then I would let them go. And I've probably never been prouder as a teacher than that night at the middle school when student after student went up to testify. And they gave these brilliant speeches, and they were passionate and well-informed. And I thought, you know, in fact, a school board member accused me of coordinating it. And I said, no, that's insulting to my students that you would suggest that. And I was like, these kids are the reason we should do this, because they're so smart, damn it. They're a lot smarter than you are. Right. And so, yeah, I think you have to be careful, because I am obviously really into politics. I don't want to impose anything on them. Well, and, and, and that's got to be a tough line to go. I know how I am with, um, and this, pol- this podcast is an interesting, it's interesting on a couple levels for me, actually, because I'm trying not to impose my beliefs and, and attack anyone, because I do want to have everybody on the show. I want them to have their time to talk. Um, and the other thing, I'm trying not to swear, <laughs> which is <laughs> Sorry not my skill set. <laughs> Don't worry. I can deal with damage. The FCC okay. doesn't mind. Um, other words, ooh, they get all cranky. Um, what's interesting about the, the school board saying that, or the school board member saying that is that I can kind of see where that person was coming from because the adults that were on the other side were so uneducated, uninformed, hypocritical, and, and just flat out lying. And they came across as Looney Tunes, and yet those are the adults. And then you have these kids come up, be articulate, smart, well-informed, well-spoken, and, and it's hard to imagine that they weren't coached because right. you don't want to you don't want to look out at your community and see that the uh, it's become an asylum and the inmates are in charge. <laughs> right. Well, that's you know it sounds cheesy, but that that felt really good because I mean I had coached them. I taught them how to write. I taught them how to present a speech. I just didn't care what their content was. And you know, so it turned out that more of my students were on one side, but. You know, it's weird that you say that. Even the kids who were opposed to the health curriculum, they were better than the adults who were opposed to it. They had arguments I didn't personally agree with, but for the most part, I thought the kids on both sides were really impressive, and that was, that's great. You don't have to agree, even if one side's clearly wrong. <laughs> I'm glad you have your facts. They're wrong. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's great. So... Um, it's nice to see that the kids are taking what you're learning and actually putting it to use in, in a public forum. What about um, what about when that public forum starts to affect your kids in the classroom? How does that play out? I think, you know, that's for me that's one of the cool things about blogging and being involved in politics outside because I can do my job here, apolitically or whatever, but then once I leave, and the, the school district's really great about that. No one's ever questioned my right to speak out politically and argue for those things. And, I, you know, some people get very upset about that, this idea that I'm not supposed to have a political life. And, and that free speech doesn't apply to you. Right. Once oh, I cash that are, check. These are the same people who, um, don't they uphold the Constitution? <laughs> for some of us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, during the session, that was really important to me because, you know, I, I, I'm not uniformly, weirdly enough, tenure reform, I'm kind of on board with that, actually, which would get me in trouble with a lot of people to say that. But a lot of the other punitive policies, let's just open it up and let everyone educate themselves and 
give the public schools no money. It's nice to be able to go fight. Or, you know, some of the bills last year that were so, you know, as I'm the advisor of the GSA here, the Gay-Straight Alliance, too, and some of the bills that were so overtly homophobic and offensive, you know. Uh, 516? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't made it through an episode yet without discussing it, so let's go for it. And so, you know, there, there we are. And I, you know, at the end of the day, I went up to the Capitol because I was going to go testify, and it was, again, kind of cool. I get there, and there are like 15 of my students there. And I, I said to myself, they'll be fine. They can do this. I can go home and write a blog about it because they were going to be a better voice, I think. And that was pretty cool, too. So. Yeah. It, the, this discussion, what's interesting is it brings us to a new point. I was having this discussion with another friend of mine on Twitter because, um, and for those of you who don't know, Andrew Breitbart actually passed away today. Very unexpectedly, he was only 43 years old. And like him or hate him, um, and I'll let you guess where I am on that spectrum, <laughs> but like him or hate him, he was a human being, he deserves some level of, you know, sorry that you're gone. Um, and a friend of mine tweeted that out, and I was, and I replied with, yes, you're right, you know, I hope that his family is not online and aren't seeing some of the horrible things that people are saying. Mind you, they're no worse than the horrible things that he said about Ted Kennedy when Ted Kennedy passed. So there is kind of that, the whole turnabout's fair play. But the other part of it is, and I think the more important part of it is, is that we, um, on my side, haven't been able to turn those bigots into allies. And I find it very disturbing that the only way to win this is for them to die out. Because some of them, in, in many other ways, are very interesting people. I don't know Breitbart from a hole in the ground, other than what he's written online. I don't know that I'd spend any time with him, but... I would assume that on some level he is a human being and there are interesting parts about him that wouldn't piss me off. And I I don't know why I'm making this about me, pardon me about that, but um, you know, one of the things that I work really hard to do is go out and meet with the opposition and sit down and talk to them and you know, find out what it is that they're, they're really concerned with or what it is that they're really having a problem with. And if I can give them facts and talk to them in a calm way and not be a threat... You know, maybe I could turn them to the dark side, I guess. Right. Um, it doesn't always work. I mean, I tried it with uh, Christy Allen Galucius and, um, oh, what's nuts with the vest? Mr. Ravendahl. Yes, Tim. Oh. I had lunch with them at Applebee's. And, um, you know, it was fine. It was, but by the end of it, you realize that their bigotry had nothing to do with facts. It was just they wanted somebody to hate, and this is who they had latched onto. I can't fix that. I can't change that. And, um... So, you you know, debate is great to a point. <laughs> and and um, what do you do to teach kids about that? You know, what happens when you hit that brick wall? Well, this is the English teacher in me, but one of my favorite books, Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man. And Ellison said that the tragedy of the narrator in that book is that he attempts to respond, respond to an irrational world with rationality. And I think about that quote all the time because these things that are driven by irrational hates or fears you think reason will work right you want to believe reason will work no you want to you want to hope that the people are reasonable right and it normally doesn't and that's really frustrating and so debate in the end isn't an answer i'd like to believe in a you know platonic sense that we'll all discuss it in the symposium and then truth will emerge but <laughs> and plato shall rise from the dead right <laughs> but i don't think you can confront Unfortunately, you can't confront hate and fear with reason because it just upsets people. And so, I mean, I think about that a lot, my persona online. I think in real life, I'm a, I'm a reasoned, love-discussing-with-people kind of person. But online, my persona is pretty aggressive. I think I'm pretty in people's faces because I've kind of given up on the idea that I can persuade people. Interesting. Um... I don't have that mental image of you online, and only knowing you from online and your blog posts, I'm like, huh, pretty reasonable to me. But that may be because my own personality is much more sort of, huh, I've got a short fuse and a lot of TNT, let's see how this works. Right. So I think people on the other side might have a, a sense that I'm pretty in your face. No, um, uh, yeah. I found out last week that I'm toxic to some of you. You might be like poison. And I was like, do I smell of almonds? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, what else do you do with your copious free time? I mean, I know that you teach, so that's 47 to 65 hours a week. 
uh, and then you blog, which is another 125 hours. Right. So what else do you do for fun in our lovely little town? Well, some people would say I only teach 10 or 12 hours a week. You know, that's their view of education. But um, <coughs> Yeah, those are the things. I mean, I it's funny. I Teaching is really a pretty all-consuming job. My you know, typical week is pretty full, and then Sunday all day is grading. That's my, my rule. I try to give myself Saturdays off. I sometimes accomplish that. So, yeah, it takes an enormous amount of time. And then the blogging part, when I'm active, that takes a big chunk of the night, too, just going through things and deciding what to write. So I think I probably need to get out there more, do yeah. other things. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been blogging? Um, six years. Maybe seven in June. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when you first started the blog, did you have concerns that it would over... And I don't know if you knew the term. Um, not having lived in Helena at that point. That was my away time. Um, what does it call it? Room Springer. 17 years ago. Right. <laughs> um, did you have a concept of, I have to be careful and not get deuced? I don't know if you've read Deuce. Mm -hmm. uh, Deuce.com. D-O-O-C-E is Heather Armstrong's blog, and she was the first person to get fired for her blog. Oh, right. Um, and it was perfectly hysterical what she wrote, but she was writing about her boss, and her boss found out. Right? <laughs> Happens. Um, so I'm wondering if that was ever a concern. Did you clear it with the department or the school district, or did you just do it? And then when they found out about it, what happened? Yeah, um, never, never occurred to me, which probably means I'm naive. And I do, you know, I do write about um, education issues in Helena periodically, and I've, I've been critical of some district policies, uh, but I've never had any negative feedback. I've had, in fact, administrators have told me they read it, they enjoy what I write, and so, yeah, I, it never crossed my mind. Now, you know, we could have a new superintendent, and I know some, some districts tell teachers they can't do this kind of stuff. I think I would fight them. It never occurred to me. Yeah, I, I think I'd put a big copy of the First Amendment up there yeah. and explain to them exactly what every word meant, but... I do, you know, I guess I have some guidelines. I would never write about something that's interesting. I would never write about a particular person that I'm employed with. So I might criticize a district policy, but it, just to be fair, right. because I feel like I do have a voice. It surprises me how many people actually read my blog. In, you know, you hear people say that they read it. I was like, oh my God, people actually read this stuff. So I wouldn't want to do that. I, I'm okay criticizing a particular public official, but I would feel uncomfortable criticizing the teacher next door. Right. Yeah, that, that's understandable. Um, one of the things that I think that's interesting about blogging, and it does go in cycles for me. Like I was really good at it for a while, and then it kind of fell off because I just wasn't interested. Right. Um, and where I was in my life, it wasn't useful to me. It didn't add a positive. It just became an, a burden, so I let it go. Um, how has it been, you know, has it become a burden at times? Have you faded in and out? Yeah. There, I, there are these moments when I realize I haven't written anything at all. And a month will pass and I've done six posts. And, but, you know, you get rejuvenated. And suddenly I've got a couple of other people contributing now. So, you know, in a month we're doing 60 posts. And that's, that's good. For yeah. me, a couple a night is great. Then other times I do five posts in a night. It just, you know, <laughs> when the spirit hits you. During the session last year, I was writing all the time. Yeah. That, in fact, I think I had to, I instapapered about half of the blog and didn't get to it till the end of the session. And I was like, I'll read it back. Yeah, someday I'll get to it. Um, yeah. I, and then, to be honest, I still have it open to instapaper because my job has gone. You better get to it. There was some gold in there. So, some well, comedy gold. So. Uh, and see, that's great. There was plenty of comedy gold that was, yeah, we had the three stooges repeating over and over again about the, the capital. So. Right. There was a lot with that. Um, so what do you think is going to come up? You know, what's your, uh, you know, you've looked into your crystal ball. You've seen kind of who's running. Everybody's pretty much declared. Um, what do you think our next session is going to be like? I, I think Democrats are right to be optimistic about closing the gap, which I think is good. I don't think they'll take back either house, but I, the excesses of the last session are going to hurt the Republicans. And I, I think that's going to... You're starting to see that. It's like the, weird, weirdly enough... Don't get hit enough, with an atlatl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, weirdly enough, examples like Derek Skies running for auditor, he's partially running for auditor because he couldn't win his own district. I mean, how that makes sense in Skies' logic, I don't understand. But well, yeah. I, I think that 
that'll be a positive thing. But, you know, everyone's saying this, but if, if Democrats don't win the governor's race, it'll be... Schweitzer saved us from a lot of terrible things. Yeah. And so it's, it's scary to look at a future where even a smaller Republican majority who votes in lockstep could undercut a lot of vital programs. And so I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm optimistic. I think we're going to win the governor's race. I think we're going to close the gap in the legislature. So Bullock? Yeah. Bully for Bullock? Yeah, I, I just feel Which like... Is, wouldn't that make a great button? <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt there. Yeah, no, I feel like he's, he's a good candidate. And uh, <clears throat> He is. Um, I got to ask you this just because it came up, and don't take this as a gotcha because it's not really on you. On Monday, the at the governor's candidates debate, one of the candidates, and I won't mention who, but if you'd like a copy of the video, I'll include a link... Um, was talking about Agenda 21 and could not shut up about it. And he's a viable candidate and, like, has raised enough money to conceivably win. Viable. Not just, you know, hey, he's electable if he shuts up. He could conceivably win. Um, That's very frightening to me. (laughs) I don't don't know what it's like for anyone else, but that was terrifying. Um, what do you do when you have, uh, you, you know, that sort of uh, weird conspiracy theory? Right. Um, I'm sure shows up in your class when they're looking for topics or, or looking for facts, again, right. with the air quotes. Um, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny what kids will find to research. And, you know, you have to spend time talking about quality of sources. And, again, the thing about debate when it's authentic is I don't need to do it. Another student will say, okay, where did that come from? Who, who's the person responsible for that information? We debated global warming. And, you know, there's legitimate evidence on both sides, but there's also entirely illegitimate evidence that would reference Agenda 21. And so I think ideally if the students confront that, and then later I might help evaluate the quality of their sources. But, you know, and I have to take my one dig here, but things like that Agenda 21, I don't know why, but the media soft sells the crazy. And, and the Ravalli County um, Governor's Gubernatorial Forum, it was worse. I mean, you have Jim Lynch, who I guess is a rational human being, talking about defending the border with a gun, Neil Livingston saying he's going to go to war with the federal government. And some of that came out in social media. Mm-hmm. But then the news stories, which 95% of Montanans were going to vote are going to get their information from, it's, there was a healthy discussion about a variety of topics. Yeah, well, people were breathing. I don't know that that qualifies as healthy. And I think, you know, if if one side or one person is saying stuff that is objectively non-factual or objectively, dare I say, mentally ill, I think the media has an obligation to let people know because my kids, they're not as engaged, right? They're 15 years old, but... Yes, the they're, very, make, they're concerned about Justin Bieber. Right. And Neil Livingstone is not even on their radar. Right. I could probably say his name and still they would look at me. Well, like most Montana voters, they would look at me <laughs> blankly. Like, who's that guy? Oh, what are you talking about? But when one party seems to be dominated by that, we do need to do a better job. And that's, you know, that's probably why I started blogging, because I was frustrated with stuff like that. So I didn't really answer your question. But. Well, no, that's okay. It's it's it, what What I find is fascinating about these conspiracy theories is that like they pop up like weeds in discussions and I I'd never heard of it before so I I had no nothing beyond it but as soon as the word you know this the these are the words he said and he strung them together in this order and by the end of the sentence I went no yeah. man's nuts like I, one of the tweets from the Ravalli said that was the loudest applause line of the whole night was when he talked about agenda 21 ah uh, and at the great falls one which was the one on monday um, that I was at, the loudest applause that happened there was on re- reducing taxes by reducing government spending for non-essential programs. And, he, and then he outlines the ones he wouldn't do, which was like education and, and fish, wildlife, and parks, da 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 He wouldn't cut those. Yeah, but he would cut, cut other things that we don't need to spend money on. And I was like, well, there's nothing left. Right. Okay, we're not going to fix our roads for the next 10 years. Good to know. I'm going to get better tires. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, and that's, I think that's, you know, I mean, again, I'm partisan, so maybe I overlook some of the stuff that Democrats say that are a little bit out there, but from the last session and from what these, you know, personally, I think part of my disillusionment, this is where I completely go off the tracks, I think the party system is what's broken. 
my theory is that if we didn't have a party Republican primary, we had an open primary like Louisiana, we would be electing moderates who actually represent Montana. I don't think Alan Hale wins a race against a sane Republican. But in a district that's 70-30 Republican-Democrat, he beats a great candidate like Sheila Hogan just because of the letter after his name. And I think that's where we've created a system where to win in the Republican Party, you've got to be extremely right. To win as Democrat in Missoula, you've got to be extremely left. What happens to the 70% in the middle? I don't know that they're getting represented very well at all. Uh, I would guess that we're not. And, and, I, and I'm probably in the 30% of the left. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after um, that. Not after last year. No, and the more they go to the right, what's funny is the more I go to the left... And I tend to be very centrist. Like, I don't think the taxes need to be that high. I mean, I look at what I pay in my taxes, and I'm like, eh, it seems reasonable. I can pay that. And I'm not going to die from it. Um, it seemed reasonable to me until I found out I'd pay a higher rate than Mitt Romney right. as a teacher. Right. That upset me a little that's, bit. That's upsetting as well to me. Um, and I'm not even a teacher. I don't even have the excuse <laughs> of doing something good for society other than maybe this podcast if, you know, somebody digs it up in 100 years and goes, hey, they weren't all nuts. Um, <clears throat> But I do see, you know, a, a level of we're spending money on things that we don't need to do. We don't need to have three wars or two wars. Um, I, I still haven't decided if Syria and Libya count as wars yeah. yet. Um, but the level of money that we spend on the military-industrial complex has just ballooned in ways that it, it's ridiculous. And, you know, everybody talks about, well, we have to get government spending under control. Well, that's where to do it. Right. You know, don't take away education. But then the other side of it is you turn around and you see what's been going on at U of M where they're, you know, the athletes are allowed out of obeying basic laws like don't rape. Right. And they're allowed out because they're athletes, but other students, oh, well, if they're, they've got a lot of money and they're from Saudi Arabia, they'll be allowed out as <laughs> out well. Out of the country even. But um, if you're a poor student from uh, Missoula and you happen to be cut from the football team, you'll be in jail. Um, I have a problem with that. Well, my challenge to Republicans, I can have some really good friends who are Republicans, and I say to them, you guys are gaming it. You keep talking about cuts. Have the courage to identify cuts. Don't just say, cut education 10%. Because honestly, there are probably places where we do overspend. Paying the commissioner of higher education $300,000 a year. That's excessive, right? Let's not do that. So don't <sighs> pass legislation that says cuts, because those are going to be put on the classroom. The legislature should have the guts to direct some of that and argue for specific cuts. Say, maybe we need to consolidate schools, but that's politically dangerous. So they just say cut, which means not enough textbooks, not sensible policies. And I could get behind some of those things, but when it's just, for the sake of ideology, we need a 5% cut in education, I can't support that because I know what that's going to mean for my students. Uh, they're going to be cut. Yeah. Um, so, in you've been, I'm sorry, now I've forgotten, 11 years? Yeah. 11 years, of, I, obviously my memory's working. <laughs> wow. Um, in 11 years of teaching, how has the class size been impacted and what is the school district, how has it changed in Helena? I think we've been, we've done really well. I haven't seen, really I haven't seen an increase. I've had pretty consistent numbers and I think most of us have had pretty consistent numbers. We're starting to feel a pinch now on resources because Helena really is committed to human resources as the way to spend its money. But now we're starting to see some cracks. We don't have enough junior textbooks for history or English. And it's scary. I mean, just the paper today, they said there's a $400,000 shortfall in the district's budget. It's getting harder and harder. So we're patching together. At some point, it's going to fall apart. And that's pretty scary. Because, I, you know, you think my, my colleague and I talk about grading papers all the time. If I added 20 kids to my load, I don't know how I could do it because I have enough time to do what I do. And if I added 10 or 15, 20 students to my class load, that would be very difficult to grade all that and get all that back to them. And, and you're not in uh, science, so it's, there's a lot more flexibility and you actually have to spend time looking at it rather than just the answer. Right. Um, <laughs> Which isn't a dig at the science teachers. No, they're fine people. I, I enjoyed Let me physics. be clear. <laughs> they're great people. I enjoyed physics. I did light something up in chemistry class one day. Right. Hmm. The Bunsen burner shouldn't be used like that. Who knew? Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Um, 
having left Montana and then coming back and going, you know, Capitol High is where I graduated from and going back and seeing what it's like and they've built onto the school and the library is missing. It's over where there used to be a parking lot and now the whole place that was our entire library is now counselors and the nurse. Um, I find that fascinating. I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe that we fit all of that information in such a small space. Yeah. Um, but the school doesn't seem more crowded, which I thought was interesting because I thought we had grown enough to make it more crowded, but I guess maybe we we're are dealing a little with it well bit. enough. We've, I'm on a high scene and increase, and so our, our, we're pretty close to capacity here, which I have noticed that difference. We've, we're probably about 150 more students than when I started, and so... It's congested. It, it, that's a different atmosphere for the kids. I think, you know, for some kids, that's really tough. Congested halls, difficulty getting around. Sounds silly, but the atmosphere of the building makes a difference. And so that's, yeah, and we, you know, our, I heard a thing on the, on the radio today about Whitefish. They need to rebuild their high school because some parts of it were built in the 50s and 70s. And I thought, well, my school, every part, except for the science wing, was built in the 50s. So I think Whitefish has a different economic reality than us right now. So. <laughs> Some parts were built in the 50s. Out of what? Cardstock? Right. <laughs> oh, it's, that wing's gotten wet. Um, so, we, you, let's see, we've discussed your past and we've discussed the future of politics. What's coming up in debate? Don't you have, did state already happen? Yeah. How did that go? Um, I just judged. I, I, I'm not coaching anymore. Oh. I gave that up. I, that's the other thing I guess I forgot that I do. With a friend, Jason Neifer, I run a business. We sell debate materials to, country, to schools across the country. So I stay involved that way. But at the time, debate was... I was here when I coached 7.30, 8 o'clock every night. So I decided that was something that had to go. And I, I miss it, but I think... It's a great activity. I'm glad to see kids still doing it, but I'm glad I'm not getting on a bus with them to go do it. So, <laughs> so how did those students at Helena High do? Just it's you know, basically a program that you had worked so, for so long. I know they qualified a student for nationals, a freshman, which is great. And awesome. so, yeah, that's I don't know if that's ever happened before. And I think they're kind of both of the programs are transitioning with new coaches and getting together. So, very cool. So, um, I. I Kind of running out of topics. I, 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 I told you, I'm not the most interesting guest you've got. No, I, th- so. I think you're very interesting, but I don't want to dive into the you know whole. Okay, so what do you think about this? Right. Um, you know, we have a couple of things that are happening in town. Um, one of which is, of course, they're doing the superintendent search, which um, I know Keith has just thrown his hat in the ring for that. Which right. he was planning on retiring, and um, Keith, who I, I I have a problem remembering his first name. I know him as Mr. Meyer because he's my fourth grade teacher. Right. Um, Cracks me up. He's hysterical. Um, and I think he'd be good at the job. And I don't want to put you on the spot with that one. Sure. So we're going to continue on. But there's a couple other things that are well, coming. Well, I, I would say, you know, one thing. I won't say talk about him specifically, but whoever it is, I, I think Dr. Messenger was a great superintendent in a lot of ways. But one thing that we, I think we need, I think we need to push to get better. I have this very cynical thing I say about Helena, which upsets people. But Ooh, let's hear it. We kind of view ourselves as a, little Lake Wobegon where all of our kids are excellent and and there are a tremendous number of outstanding kids and I love this community but I I really want whoever it is and I think um, Dr. Myers is in the position of being interim this year so he couldn't really do this. Whoever it is next year, I want someone to be in my classroom telling me to be better and that's something I felt maybe was missing before. I, I think a push an educational leader who's going to confront some of what we're doing that's not great practice. Because we do, you know, people point out our kids, our graduation rates are not great. And we can't pass those AYP tests in math. And I want someone not to just explain why we're not doing it, but to tell us we can do 10 or 15% better. So I hope whoever they pick is that person. That's my, my, my great wish. Someone who will get in my face and tell me be a better teacher. Uh, well, um, several parents will now be showing up at your door. You need to be a better teacher. Um, you well, I'll to... only take that from a superintendent, <laughs> yeah. not from just a parent. <laughs> you need to raise better kids. Right. Um, yeah, no, there was a... I, I never heard the term before, but then when I heard it and found out what it was, I was, one, shocked that it exists, and then kind of appalled and fascinated at the same time, and it's helicopter parents. I 
had no idea that this was happening, that people, and they're effectively my age, so it's, it's my friends, and I look at some of my friends as they start to pull this crap, and I'm like, you cannot do that. Right. And it's astounding. Do you have to deal with that a lot? I always feel like I need to use the cliche of knock on wood. I don't, but it happens all the time. I don't have a lot of parents who are here to intervene on behalf of their students. You know, if, if there are issues, yes, but not why he didn't do his homework. Because there's a lot of it. Um, it. It horrifies me. I think about my childhood, and I sound so old when I say this, but I would leave my door at 9 in the morning with my friends. I'd check in at 1 with my grandma to get a sandwich. I'd leave. I'd come home for dinner, and then I would leave again, come home when it was dark. And these kids are so program and they're driven to soccer practice and their parents you know involved in that the freedom of childhood man they're missing out that was the life and I, I understand parents worry and they want the kids to be safe but gotta have time to explore and you know you just don't see kids out playing in their neighborhoods very often at night by themselves right. it's always organized activities and I think that Play kind dates. of contributes to it yeah yeah, I would, have, I would have disowned my parents the minute a play date was involved. I think <laughs> there's a there's a lot of that that's very bizarre to me. That uh, you know we're going to completely manage your entire life to get you into the best schools, whether you want to or not. Um, I certainly didn't function that way. Whenever I was pressured into that, I generally rebelled in interesting and and <laughs> creative yet not necessarily productive ways. Right. Um, and I see that happening with a lot of kids. And what I think is funny is, like, the one thing these parents are trying to do is the one thing they're actually creating. They're trying to stop the kids from becoming uh, useless and, and uninteresting and uninterested. And that's exactly what they're making. Yeah. So it's very bizarre to me. I, I just, you know, social commentary, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sex ed is coming up again, apparently. Um what have you heard? And I guess the program has been implemented in the schools, correct? Yes. And it really hasn't affected anything, has it? No. So there have not been any riots or there's not wild been pagan orgies in front activity. of the office. No. I haven't seen any of it. Well, are you looking at the right place? <laughs> I probably would just look away, but no. It, you know, it's one of those things. And I know it was a hot button issue, but it was. It's so obvious. And, you know, I think, again, think about my students. The, one of the kids who stood up and said, my peers are going to learn about sex. You can choose. You can do it as parents, which is great, or the schools can do it responsibly, or they can learn from the media and from their friends. And those are the three options. The fourth option, that kids don't learn about sex, it just isn't going to happen. Yeah. And That's a fantasy. And I think, you know, responsibly letting them understand health and safety and responsibility you know along the way maybe we teach them some good values about gender and treating women with respect maybe that's all stuff that would be good treating people who have uh, different sexual orientation with respect I say that's a healthy choice and I just didn't understand why people were so worked out it, it was it was a little bit bizarre there were a lot of people that were involved in it that don't have kids anymore um, and that their kids in fact, I know their kids because they're my age. Went through the system when I went through, and we had sex ed. It was fairly comprehensive. They did tell us about condoms, although they didn't hand them out. Um, and if and one of the things that I thought was funny is the health teacher I had, who remained nameless, couldn't say penis because <laughs> he turned bright red. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy the teachers who have to teach it. I think that would be teaching eighth grade boys about sex ed would be pretty rough. Yeah, and, you know, so the, there's a lot of... But but I don't envy the parents that have to teach it either. You know, there's a level of responsibility that comes with having a kid, and one of them is to teach them about sex, and the way our society views sex, that can't be a comfortable situation. I, I think about... My dad passed away when I was a kid. Um, I was nine, and I never had any the talk with the parents. In our school, you know, Laurel, Montana wasn't going to teach it. And I, I, got, I was fortunate that no negative consequences came from that, but I should have been taught some things. It would have been helpful to know. I mean, just understanding the difficulty of that transition period for boys and girls at that age, having someone to do that. I, yeah. And no, no teacher in this district is going to do something inappropriate. 
And if they do, sex ed wouldn't have caused it, right? It, right. If it someone was going to behave unprofessionally, the sub, they would find a way to work it into... Into math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Which, wouldn't that be entertaining, right. really? Kids might pay more attention. <laughs> I don't know what was happening, but that plus sign was just going <laughs> at it. <laughs> right. So that's cool. So there's a lot going on with politics. Obviously, Helena being a fairly political town, it's always going to be this way. Um, that's the weirdest thing about living in Helena, though. We, you know, I'm sure you've heard people say this: the bubble, the Helena bubble. Uh-huh. We just have no sense. I think I sometimes I think I lose perspective, and I know other people here do, just about how much people care about politics here compared to the rest of the state. You know, we're all wrapped up in this gubernatorial race and legislative races. You go somewhere else. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's yeah. we Elections are in November, right. <laughs> I think. Is so it this sometimes year? I, I kind of want to step back and say, don't be so Hellenan about this. <laughs> but. So um, we're coming up on, obviously, the election. There are several people that uh, you know are running. Um, are you involved with any campaigns? or? No, I, I kind of... It's a weird spot. I, f- I feel like with the blog, I like to, you know, I have people who I lean towards or I'm supporting, but generally I kind of stay on the sidelines until after primaries because generally I'm going to support the Democratic candidate, barring, you know, exceptional circumstances. And so right now I don't even know in some of these races. Like, you know, like the race for Congress, we have a bunch of pretty cool people running, so I'm still in the evaluating stage. I don't know how some people decide so quickly, actually. Uh, I would posit that they do it by not actually understanding what's going on. They yeah. just pick their friend. Yeah. Um, which is, in some cases, that's valid. I mean, yeah. if you know the person, by all means. But I think that's the other problem that goes on with politics is in a lot of cases it's, a, it's strictly a popularity contest. It's not about who's going to do the right thing because sometimes the right thing is not the popular thing. Right. Um, and there are many states that are facing up to that reality and realizing that when they decided to have direct democracy, like California, they could end up with some idiocy that they just can't work around, like their inability to raise property taxes. Right. So they can't fund anything. Right. So, you know, the, the government's going broke, and they can't fix roads. They, they can't teach their kids. They can't keep right. schools open. Um, you know, they have, they have to furlough the entire government a couple of days a month. Right. Um, and that's strictly because... You know, a mob got whipped up and voted for something that sounded like a great idea. Yeah, we shouldn't ever allow the legislators to do this. That's something we narrowly avoided when I was in high school. The same initiative, essentially, would have done the same thing in Montana. We got really lucky that it didn't pass because we wouldn't have been able to vote in any taxes, which would make it hard to fund schools. And we have long roads. Right. We need some money for this. <laughs> right. And we have, we do have a safety valve for that, though, which is the, the constitutional com- uh, uh, convention rule in the Constitution. So after 20 years, we have to have a vote on whether we're going to redo the Constitution. So <laughs> right. theoretically, we could save ourselves from that. California doesn't have that safety valve. Right. Um, so it's uh, very interesting to see how this plays out. I, when we first started this conversation today... One of the quotes that was running through my head, and I can't remember if it's Einstein or not. I'll have to look it up. But it's the whole, uh, one of the greatest arguments against democracy is to talk to somebody for 10 minutes. Vote. <laughs> right. um, and it's true, because if you're not going to be educated on who's out there and who's actually running, um, you can do more harm than good. But then you look at that and you go, well, who do I vote for in the judges' races? Right. And then you end up with somebody who sends a racist comment about the president. Right. Although he was appointed, so he went, eh, there wasn't an election. That's I, bizarre. I think that, that, you know, even people I know who are smart, interesting, interested people, sometimes I'm surprised how little they know about political races, especially when it comes to the primaries, I think. And that's, that's always interesting to me. Teachers, you know, people I know who I respect a lot for their intelligence, I think people are losing their interest partially because there's no real information. And candidates, winning elections is about minimizing exposure and so don't say anything and so then in the end you know whether it's the attorney general race which i know in helena is this big brouhaha everyone's worked up about it or the congressional race i think the candidates really want not to hurt themselves and so then the public doesn't pay any attention to it because it's just press releases and nonsense and then people go vote blindly that's i don't know how we fix that they read my blog that's how they fix it and they'll know (laughs) this is truth 
on and the there page. Will, and there will be a link to the blog and a link to your Twitter. Well, good. Um, so people can follow and see the truth and the wit. And, Some days. Um, so better than mine most days. I try to be clever and just come off as a prick. It's <laughs> I love it when my mother sends me a note. That was rude. <laughs> now, I don't mean to reveal anything, but I finally made a connection the other day. Uh, which Did your mother blog? Yes, but we'll discuss that off. Okay. <laughs> um, she does like a level of anonymity with that. She also okay. she also tweets under her own name, which I think is funny. Okay. She's like, oh, I don't tweet very often. I think she's got like four, and she's been on for because I opened that account for her <laughs> four years ago, I think three years ago. One tweet a year. That's enough. Yeah, you know, it's plenty. Still here. Right. Um. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. <clears throat> We don't have a mute button, and I'm not editing anything. You're going to have to deal with the people. Um, so is there anything else? I, I do. I get to announce something, and I'm kind of excited about this. All the people that I've talked to, and there are several people that have um, recorded shows, but they aren't out yet, um, and other people who have agreed to be on shows um, who I just have to apparently hunt down with a spear. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I've, I've talked to a couple of them, and one of the things that we are going to do is after the primaries, we're going to have a big roundtable um, and get everybody back and kind of talk about how things happen from here. Because while school is out, I think from June to October is some of the most interesting times in this political town right. because we go nuts. It is partyville as far as I'm concerned. We enjoy our politics. We like to see what's going on. And I think it'll be fun. I, and I think people from both sides of the, of the aisle... Um, will be involved in that, and I hope you will as well. Sounds interesting. So, um, once again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, everybody was Don Pogriba. You'll be able to follow him on Twitter at Pogriba or at Pogriba. Yes, yes, D Pogriba, D Pogriba, and then um, the website is Intelligent Discontent, which sounds so much more pretentious out loud than it does in print. So. <laughs> oh, it looks very classy in print. Okay. But when I say it in the British accent, intelligent discontent. Yes. I hate hearing it out loud. It just, <laughs> I'm just like, why did I pick that name? Uh, oh, well, better than mine, ham on rye. Anyway, um, links to that and um, anything else that we discussed in the show, I'll try to put links in as well. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.